0: Genesis chapter number 14, beginning in verse number 8. The Bible says, And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Admon, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Sidom. Now the them is about to be described with Keterleomer, the king of Elam, with Tidal, king of nations, with Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Alesser, uh, four kings with five the vale of Siddam was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew... Uh, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and brother of Abner, of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. The king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Keterleomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the Kingsdale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord the Most High God, the Possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Escol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Would you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, bless your word. Let it be glorifying unto you. And Father, I know that if it's preached in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the contextual understanding, if we're true to your word, that it will glorify you, Lord. I pray that each and every heart would be dealt with in a way, Father, that would draw us closer to you. Help us to be obedient to your word now tonight, Lord, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I've foregone reading the first seven verses of this Chapter because they don't necessarily deal immediately with our message tonight, although I would encourage you to read them. It presents the battle and the campaign of the uh, four kings from uh, northern Babylon, northern eastern Babylon, as they came and waged war and traveled through Canaan and uh, pillaged and, and, and destroyed and, and, and burned everything in their path, basically, on their way to put down a rebellion by these five kings from the vale of Sidon, Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three cities. Uh, but as we study this passage tonight, there's a lot that could be touched on and talked about. We could talk about Melchizedek. Boy, what a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. We could spend the whole service arguing about who He is, amen? There's a lot of people that spend time doing that. I'd readily confess, me and my father-in-law talked about it a while today, and we both kind of came to the same conclusion, and that's that the Bible don't tell you enough to know definitively. Uh, it gives us some ideas. and. Uh, some people believe it's a Christophany or Theophany, and there's things you could say that would support that. And some people uh, believe that it was Shem, and there's things you could say to support that. And some people believe it was some unknown man that we're not aware of, and there's things you could say that would support that. But tonight, I don't want to preach on Melchizedek. We could look at it and see the dangers of of Lot's sin. And certainly, uh, it didn't take him long to go from the well-watered plains of Jordan to the slime pit of the Salt Sea, did it? But tonight, I don't necessarily want to focus on that. But as we've done for the past three weeks, I want to do again tonight, I want to focus on Abram and the element of faith in his life. Now, the first week, we looked at faith discovered, when Abram begins to walk by faith. And the next week, we looked at faith deserted. We saw his backsliddenness and his, his trip down into Egypt. Now, I guess we've all taken our trips into Egypt in our life. Uh, next, we uh, studied last week, uh, faith discerning, and we saw the decision to part from Lot, and how that Abram, uh, the Lord spoke to Abram after he had parted from Lot, and Lot went towards the well-watered plain of Jordan and, and pitched his tents towards Sodom. And uh, we've studied the element of faith in each of those things. But we find that tonight, Abram's faith is put to a different kind of test that it's ever been put to before. The Bible tells us that as these kings came down and began to wage war with these cities of the Vale of Siddim of the Salt Sea, uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities were taken, and with them Lot, Abram's brother's son, was taken. And so Abram's in a position now where he has to decide what he's going to do. Can I say to you that you and I, we're going to have times when our brethren have fallen in the slime pit. There's going to be times in our life when we're surrounded with people that aren't having faith, but someone has to go on their behalf and intercede for them. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter number 2 of a man that was sick of the palsy and that he came to a place where Jesus was preaching. He was carried by his four friends. And uh, whenever they got there, the Bible says the house was was full and that Jesus was preaching and teaching the Word of God. And so faced with this obstacle, these four men took that uh, palsied man up to the roof and they began to dig up that roof. Boy, that upset a lot of churches, wouldn't it? They'd be be wondering who the roof-busting-up committee was going to be, wouldn't they? But they didn't ask about that. They'd be wondering who's going to pay for this roof and everything else. They just knew they had to get that man to Jesus. I'll tell you this, church, if our church can get on fire with this thought, let's just help get people to Jesus Christ. Whatever it costs us, whatever it takes... However much time, however much energy, let us be a tool to be used in reaching the lost. I believe we'll be the the better for it. The Bible says they, they tore up this roof and they, they let this man down upon ropes. And when he reached the ground, the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the man, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Now you say, are you telling me that they vicariously accepted Christ for him? No, 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 no. Uh, The palsied man was included in the there. But what it's saying is this, the faith of those men that got him to Jesus made a difference. The faith of those men that were willing to face an obstacle and overcome it for the sake of another, that made a difference. As we look at Abraham's life, tonight I want to examine the thought of faith-defeating or faith-conquering elements that surround it. As you walk in this life, you're going to find that things are going to challenge your faith. And you're going to find that there's times when it's going to take faith to intercede on another person's behalf. I've got to tell you, neighbor, and there's probably been times in your life, and there has been in mine, you ever had somebody that you just wanted to see get saved and you were praying for them? You know, it takes faith to pray for someone to be saved. There some people say, well, the Bible doesn't teach praying for people to be saved. That sounds good. The only problem is it isn't so. Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer is that Israel would be saved. The fact of the matter is, it's perfectly scriptural to pray for someone to get saved. They've got free will. They're going to make their own decision. Uh, but you can pray that the Lord will make it awful hard on them to ignore it. Amen. But we find in this passage that Abram news is given to Abram concerning the kidnapping and the captivity of Lot. And I want us to look at three things tonight. And I want us first to notice that we see his faith is compassionate in its response. The Bible tells us that whenever the man came and spoke to Abram, uh, he looked at him and he said that Lot has been taken, uh, those cities have been destroyed. And Abram had a choice to make. You know, Abram would have done what a lot of Baptists do. You know what he would have said? He would have said, Lot made his bed, let him lie in it. Let me tell you what compassion is. Compassion is being emotionally inconvenienced for the sake of another. Let me go a little further. True biblical compassion is not just being emotionally inconvenienced, but it's doing something about it. Notice what it says there in the passage. Uh, The Bible calls Lot Abram's brother's son, and that's true. But whenever the man comes to Abram, and says that Lot's been taken uh, you know how the bible defines and describes him uh, look with me here uh, down in uh, verse number 14 and when abram heard that his brother was taken captive don't you know it would be typical of us if we had been abram we would have said well it's his own fault for going the way that he went how many times have you heard somebody say that well it's his own fault for going the direction he went well it's his own fault for doing what he's done let me put it in modern day language. Well, it's his own fault for disobeying the Lord the way he did. I'm just preaching now. Don't get nervous. But you know as well as I do, friend, that when men and women fall, there's a tendency to use it as an opportunity to flaunt our own righteousness. Abram could have looked at Lot and said, well, it's his own fault for going towards Sodom anymore. He could have looked at Lot and said, well, you know, really... It's none of my business. How many times you heard somebody say that? Got a loved one, and listen, neighbor, we're not we're not asking you to beat down their door and tie them up and make them confess Jesus. That ain't gonna do no good anyway. But I'm just talking about praying for someone. I'm just simply talking about seeking the Lord's face. About I'm talking about getting on your knees in your prayer closet and crying out and say, Lord, do something in their life to show them their need of you. But you know what? Sometimes we do. We say it ain't none of my business. They've got a mama that can pray for them. they got a daddy that can pray for them. they got their own church that can pray for them. None of my business. Don't you know Abram could have said, none of my business. <laughs> it ain't none of my business. He's already departed from me. That's none of my business. I made up my mind whenever I came here to pastor. I don't say this bragging on myself. I just believe it's a philosophy that we all ought to have. I made up my mind when I came here that there's two groups that I pastor. I pastor the people that have their name on the on Walridge Baptist Church's roll, and and they come, and and I pastor them. But you know that I I pastor anybody the Lord puts in my way to minister to. Uh, all this mess of none of my business, none of my concern. That's straight out of hell. Let me tell you who's your neighbor. <laughs> you remember Christ said that. He's talking about the good Samaritan, and he said love your neighbor. As yourself. And one smart aleck looked at him and said, Well, who is our neighbor? Can't you hear somebody saying that? Well, who is our neighbor? And he began to tell him the story of the good Samaritan. I'll tell you who's your neighbor. Whoever you make your neighbor. That's who your neighbor is. Whoever the Lord leaves lying dead by the roadside, that you need to give them help and they need your help. That's your neighbor. We find in this passage that Abram had a choice, but he was compassionate. He heard that his brother had been taken captive. Now, you might say, well, now, I'm no Bible scholar, preacher, but Lot wasn't his brother. Lot was his brother. He wasn't talking about a physical relationship. They were brothers in covenant. They were were brothers spiritually, in a sense. And what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says, brethren, you notice how God works? (laughs) Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, kick him to the side and talk bad about him. Brethren, if a man be overtaken with a fault, go and gossip all around the country for him and pretend you're asking for people to pray for him. No. Brethren, if a man be overtaken with a fault, ye which are spiritual, the carnal man is the one that kicks his brother when he's down. The spiritual man is the the man that sees himself in that position. I'll tell you what the good Samaritan did when he walked by. I I, kind of believe he looked at that man lying there in the ditch and he thought, but for the grace of God, Oh, I. And i tell you what, serve us all well. When we see somebody that's messed up, instead of climbing all over them, why don't you just stop and thank God that it's not you in that slime pit? Why don't you just stop and think for yourself, uh, think for a second, you know, I could just as easily be in the shape that they're in. Ye which are spiritual, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken with the fall, ye which are spiritual, restore him, forgive him, lift him out, do something about it. I'll tell you who is your priority. I'll tell you who is your responsibility. Anybody in your life that God gives you an open door with. Abram was compassionate. We see his compassion. He takes his servants, over 300 servants that had been trained up in his house, and he arms them, and they set out to go chase these kings down. Boy, that was a scary thing. I don't know if you realize it, uh, but uh, you know, as, as we study this passage... Uh, these four kings had enough of an army to go on, on a march that was literally hundreds of miles going this way and that way and pillaging towns. Neighbor, this wasn't this wasn't you know the fire brigade. this was a serious army that was coming in. In fact, it was so serious it had already whipped those other five cities and a number of other ones. I mean we're talking an army in the thousands, tens of thousands, maybe over a hundred thousand. But we find that Abram in faith said, I'm going to trust God to do the impossible. Let me tell you something. Real biblical faith is when we trust God to do something that there's no way for it to be done. He set out with those 300 servants, 300 some odd servants, set out after these men. And in the middle of the night, He overtook them and conquered them. So we see faith compassionate, but we see faith conquering. Let me tell you what can make a difference in your loved one's life. And that is if you in faith will pray for them and try to be the witness to them that you can. You say, they won't listen to me. Maybe they won't, but they can't stop your prayers. Maybe they won't, but they can't. And people say, I've heard people say, women say sometimes, you know, uh, you know, the Bible says uh, that, you know how wives are to reach their husbands? And this isn't just with salvation, but it has to do with anything in spiritual matters. The Bible says, while they behold your chaste conversation, you live it in front of your husband. It'll make a difference. Why? And you say, well, you don't know. My husband's so hard-headed. He may be a lot of things. But he ain't blind. He sees the way that you're living. And sometimes, you know, there's a tendency to say, well, you know, it's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It's impossible with men. But with God, all things are possible. You want to reach your loved one. You, in faith, call their name out to the Lord. And you say, you don't know how big of a scoundrel this person is. You don't understand. They won't listen to me. No, but God will listen to you. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Through prayer, we conquer things that armies could never dream to. Through prayer, we conquer things that governments could never even fathom. Through through prayer, we conquer things that coalitions and charity works could never even imagine. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And you know why God said much? I'm going to clue you in here. You say, why doesn't it say availeth everything? Because things that are bound in Scripture to happen, you can pray that the rapture won't happen all you want, neighbor, but it's still coming. But... Let me also say there's not a lot that's impervious to prayer either. There's not a lot that's impervious to prayer. Uh, You move outside of the things that are clearly revealed as God's will and His prophetic calendar. When we're talking about your family and its life, there's not a lot of things that are impossible. Prayer can move mountains. And we find in this passage that Abraham, by faith, stepped out in compassion. I want you to notice that he didn't wait around for God to tell him to go either. You say, preacher, I thought we were supposed to follow the will of God. There's some things you don't have to pray about. There's some things you don't have to pray about. If you spend all your time praying about whether to read your Bible, you ain't going to get no Bible reading done. But if you'll just obey the Word of God and do what the Bible says for you to do, you'll find that it'll be right in line with what God has for your life. There's some things you don't have to pray about. And listen, forgiving somebody that's fallen and failed, you don't have to pray about that. The Bible says we're to forgive others, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. You don't have to pray about whether to forgive someone. Just do it. You say, I can't. Sure you can. You say, but they've wronged me. But Christ hasn't. Even as God also, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. You're not forgiving them because they deserve it. You're forgiving them because someone has forgiven you a greater debt. We find in this passage that his faith conquered these things. And faith can conquer Faith can do things that nothing else can do. But I want you to notice we not only see his faith conquering, but we see his faith conceding to who was the real authority in his life. We read it there in verses 17 through 20. We won't take the time to read it, but Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of righteousness, uh, king of peace, uh, comes and brings bread and wine. And uh, the Bible says that, he spoke to Abram. I, well, we will we'll read it. I want you to notice it with me. Look at verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kederleomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, Melchizedek was God's man. Whatever you want to say about him, whatever discussions we might have, it's clear that he was God's man. He's a representative of God. And it says in verse number 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. I want you to notice that first Melchizedek tells Abram that the only reason anything in his life is what it is, is because God, the possessor of heaven and earth, is one that's enabled it. Let me tell you something. When faith wins great battles, there's no more dangerous time for, for backsliddenness and sinfulness in the believer's life than after great victory. After you've seen God do something great, Satan's waiting to trip you up. You know why? He's hoping your guard will be off. And Melchizedek, you know, he kind of brings Abram down. I don't know. Maybe Abram was puffed up. Uh, Maybe he was not Brother Ron said a second ago about the love of this church, it just swells him up. And I thought, that's good. I'm going to use that too. If I go to the doctor and they gripe at me, I'm just going to say the love of my church just swells me up. Amen? Uh, Maybe Abram was puffed up. I don't know. But I know it would be a sobering thing to have God's representative look at you and, with a wink and with a smile, say, you know, the only reason you're anything is because God has blessed you. goes a little further. Look what else it says uh, down in verse number 20. Blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. In other words, what Abram did, we might assume it was the tithes of the spoils, although I don't believe that's what he did because he didn't take any spoils from the battle. I believe when it says he gave him tithes of all, I think it meant of everything that Abram owned, he gave him a tenth. What was he doing? He was giving honor to whom honor is due. He was honoring God in his personal life. Let me tell you something, when you see God do great things in your life, when when you really begin to gain ground with God, be careful lest you get puffed up keep in mind who it is that's brought you along the way. We had the testimonies tonight. I thank God for testimonies. And and, and I, I appreciate when God takes a man that's in a dark place and brings him into the light and takes a man that's wasting away and gives him something to live for and takes a man that's sin-sick and redeems him and washes him clean. I'm thankful for that. But We need to always remember, neighbor. We need to always remember that it's just that. It's God that's brought us from where we were at to where we are. And if it wasn't for God, we could be right back in it in a moment. And so we see that after faith is conquered, it's imperative that Abram honor God in his private life, give to the Lord what belongs to him. But there's a fourth thing, and I'm going to hush after this. I know you're hungry. Uh, We see faith crediting. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, in his personal life, he conceded the glory to God. But we find that the... King of Sodom comes and begins to speak with Abram in verse number 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Now, I don't believe that the king of Sodom was wanting them to be slaves. I believe what he was saying is, uh, Don't take these people into slavery. Give them to me. Let them go back to their homes. But everything that you've got, everything, all the spoils from the battle, Abram, all of it belongs to you. Now, that was a position of honor. I mean, this king was looking at Abram and saying, it's because of you that we're here. Notice what Abram does. Abram said to the king of Sodom, boy, I like this. God in heaven, make me a Christian like Abram in this passage. Look what it says. He said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the Possessor, of heaven and earth. Now, he's talking to a pagan king here. He's talking to a pagan king. Don't you bet that crossed that king's eyes? <laughs> Don't you bet he wondered what all this was about? But Abram said, I've lifted up my hand. Verse 23, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoelatch. We can put it in hillbilly terms. He said, I won't take pocket length to a shoelace. And notice what he says. To a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine. Now, notice this lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. What was his motive for refraining from taking the spoils? Because he wanted this king to understand. He wanted the people around him to understand. The only reason he was anything. This is a man, listen to me, this is a man that had been a wandering traveler, a sojourner in an empty and a barren well, not empty, but in a uh, in a cursed land, a sojourner in a place that was not his home or the home of his fathers. He had gone into Canaan with nothing. And at this point, he's got a household of over 300 servants. He's got more riches, uh, enough that he was viewed much like a king in that area. Abram says, the last thing I want is for anybody to say that Abram did this on his own. Or anybody to say that someone else has got Abram where he's at. I want everyone around me, Abram said, to understand that the only reason I stand here today, the only reason that the battle's been won, the only reason the enemy's been conquered, is because there's a God in heaven that hears and answers the prayers of His people. I'm thankful God gives us victories. But let me tell you something, God gives us victories and we owe Him the glory. That's the exchange. It belongs to Him. Some of you, probably most of you are praying for loved ones. Can I tell you that that's the right thing to do? Don't get drawn into this thing of, well, they've made their bed, let them lie in it. Listen, neighbor, if God had let you lie in the bed you made, you'd be in hell today. Don't get pulled into this. Just a wicked, lost sinner is all they are. They don't know no better. You didn't either. Until God spoke to your heart and convicted you, until someone came along with the Word of God and showed you the truth of it. That's what made the difference in your life and in my life. But for the grace of God, you'd be right there with them. Be compassionate with those that have fallen into the slime pit of this world. Learn how to have mercy. The Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know what that tells you? That tells you that what you're dealing out, one day you're going to need it. <laughs> you're dealing out mercy. There's going to come a day you're going to need mercy. The only way you're going to find it is if you've been merciful to people. What's mercy? Giving people or not giving people what they do deserve. People do wrong. People sin. People mess up. Yeah, maybe they deserve for you to roll your eyes at them. Maybe they deserve for you to look down at them. But if you're merciful, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to reach down and help them up. We see faith compassionate. We see it conquering. We see faith doing things that no one would have believed it could do. But I'm thankful that faith can move mountains and do things that are impossible. We see faith conceding. We see in Abram's personal life, him giving what God has given to him back. Every victory. Listen, let me tell you what happens in your life when you pray. let Let me ask you this way. How many of you, there's been something you've struggled with in your life, at some point you've prayed, and God has given you the victory over that? Has there been something like that in your life? I could put my hand up. There's been times like that in my life. You say, what do I do after that? you recognize that it's been God that's delivered you from that. Every time one of them kids or one of them grandbabies comes to know the Lord, you give God the glory for that. Every time one of them nieces or nephews, any time one of them neighbor children, whatever it is, God has done something in your life. Concede in your own personal heart. Keep it in your mind. Keep it on your consciousness that it's God in heaven that's done that. And then publicly credit Him for it. Tell people that it's been God that's worked in your heart and life.